Amen. I imagine you've all heard the Florence of Arabia at some point. Right? He's, he's not as popular a legendary figure as he once was, but you all have a sense for who he is. Is he still sort of out there, historically? English fellow who, during World War I, was a part of British secret operations in the Middle East. And he knew the cultures, and he knew the languages, and he knew the ways of the people of the Middle East so well that he became this sort of legendary figure, hence known not by his proper name of T.B. Lawrence, but rather by the name of Lawrence of Arabia. If we put a picture of him in English clothes up on the screen, you'd all say, well, who is that? If we put him up there, you know, with the shawl and all the other stuff, you go, oh, that's Lawrence of Arabia. On the camel's back, right, and all these kinds of things, right? Some of the stories, some of them legendary, one of them true, is that there was a stronghold on the Red Sea of the Ottoman and Turkish forces. And because the stronghold was on the Red Sea, behind it was all desert. All their big guns and all their fortified walls, everything else faced the sea. And they figured that the only danger they faced in that place was from a naval invasion. This town was called Akbar. Akbar, I can't pronounce it correctly. But in Arabia, Lawrence said, oh, no, we can do it. We can go across the desert. And all the English troops and all the English generals and leaders said, you're crazy. Nobody can do that. He said, I know my men. He let a irregular local tribal Arabic fighters, these guerrilla fighters. And he said, we can do it. So they let it go for it. And they went this long, arduous, hot drive difficult journey across the desert, and they came in and took the town almost unresisted because it was an utter and complete surprise. And he knew his people so well. After that, he was promoted to danger, and he took his irregulars around and made all kinds of havoc and became this legendary figure. Sir Edmund Allenby, who was the leader of the Egyptian Expeditionary Force for the British in World War I, later said, I gave him a free hand. His cooperation was marked by the utmost loyalty. I never had anything but praise for his work, which indeed was invaluable throughout the campaign. People know Lawrence by these legendary things, but he didn't fall into them to sort of the blue, as it were. As an early teenage child, or youth, sorry, he went around his native area in England and he was fascinated by medieval history. So he and friend walked to every old bicycle, to every old church in their entire region. And anything of medieval age, any inscriptions, any plaques, anything that they could, they would do, they would do these um, you know, what do you call it when you put the paper down and rub over it? They do these rubbings and these things. Later, when he was a, a sort of an older teenager, he came on a bicycle tour of medieval sites in France. And he got all these drawings and all these notes. When he was a university student at Oxford, and then coming into Biden's parliament, when he was a university student at Oxford, he spent a summer in which 
He packed up a rucksack. He took a few extra clothes, some good pencils and some journals, empty blank journals for drawing and writings. He took an extra pair of shoes, a canteen, and a pistol. And he went along on a thousand-mile trek by foot across North Africa, visiting Crusader war fortresses and sites. As he did that, he learned the languages and the cultures of the peoples of the part of the world where Jesus had walked. One of the things he learned was that hospitality, and particularly hospitality around the table, was so deeply respected in those cultures that any time he went into any village or any group of tents of any chieftain, as soon as he would go to the chieftain's tent, if his intuition was, this is a, this is a tough one, I'm not sure they're going to be kind to me, he would immediately scan, he would scan all around the tent for any scrap of food that he could find. And uninvited, not sitting at a table, no formalities whatsoever, he would simply, in the sight and presence of the chieftain, he would grab it and step it in his mouth and eat it. Because in their culture, the responsibility of hospitality and the implicit peace of sitting and eating together at the table was so great that even if he forced the moment, they still were, they felt duty bound to their chosen peace. We come tonight to our fourth of five weeks of looking at what do we do in the liturgy of the Eucharist. We talked about how we come for our amazing and holy God. What an incredible thing that is. We talked about how we hear from the Word every week. And we're renewed in who we are. We're reshaped in our identity. We affirm that in the Creed. We talked last week in that incredible thundering thunderstorm. We talked about how we bring our heart cries to the Lord and bring them near. And we pray together. We handle hand in business. We share peace. We talk about what's going on in our lives. This week we come to a grand moment of all when we actually come to the table. And what is going on in that moment? What's going on as we do that? Like Marcus of Arabia, like his experience, we see all through the scriptures a great respect for a shared meal. All the way back to creation. Think about it. In creation, the first two titled things, the first two things that are given a title, to give someone a title or something a title is something of respect and dignity and authority. There's authority that goes with any title. The first two things in the story of creation that are given a title are the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good evil. And these trees produce what? Fruit. And if they eat this fruit, there will be an incredible consequence for good or for ill. So great that when they do get in and eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good evil that they're not supposed to eat, the angel then has to come and banish them from the garden. In part because sin is there and they're no longer holy. In part to keep them from eating of the tree of life and living forever underneath all that. In order that we could one day be redeemed as an act of 
out of the garden. Point being, right there in the beginning, God made the world such that eating, taking of the goodness of the creation that God said was good, and putting it into our bodies is something that we just, of course, do. Let's think about what an incredible thing it is. Charles Williams, friend of J.R. Tolkien, friend of Steve Lewis, he said, substitution is a principle of the universe. Those things that we need substitute their lives for us. And God is preparing our minds for the fact that Jesus will substitute his life for us as well. Substitution is a principle of the universe. So this thing goes on. Abraham, when the angels come to visit him, what does he do? to make them a meal. He stirred around to show them peace and hospitality and to make them a meal. In Psalm 23, it's beautiful, perhaps the most beautiful, we should say, but it's certainly one that has touched people so deeply. This beautiful song, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, meaning what? I'm okay, I'm safe. Peace is established even in the presence of my enemies. Think about Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, being forced to eat of Nebuchadnezzar's table and saying, No, and God stands up for and delivers them. It's, it's the great passage that the vegetarians have never claimed on to. I don't know why. You know, they need to make some bumper stickers about this thing. <laughs> Go with the Daniel diet. <laughs> and above all, of course, the Passover meal. This is the Passover, which the people of Israel remembered who they were, because most of all, it was the Exodus that had given them their life, their identity, their peoplehood, their peopleness, and made them a people. And it was a meal that God used to remind them of who they were. Certainly for Jesus, the table and shared meals was a big deal. Think about Jesus, perhaps again, most famous parable of all. What we call the prodigal son, there's a whole lot going on there, this is for another day. But the one we call the prodigal son, right? What happens when he comes home? What do they do? They have a big party, they have a feast, and they call the whole town together and they eat, and they welcome him back. And it's scandalous to go further than there should have been with him. You know, instead of kicking him out like he deserves. Jesus had. In a lot of trouble around the Sabbath. Maybe next to that, he had more trouble around this thing about eating with people. Maybe that as much as anything, but probably the Sabbath, right? He just couldn't get it right. He kept eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. You know, he kept eating the wrong things and weren't supposed to eat. And Jesus is just, you know, spreading his peace around, willy nilly.
In the Passover, they remembered the whole story. They remembered how they had become a people with a place, how God had done it by His great right arm. They remembered the whole story. They remembered their identity in that story. Who were they and how did they get to be who they were? They ate and peace together. They committed their way to God and they believed anew in His miraculous presence with them, just as it had been during the Exodus. Right? That's what the passage is all about. It's about telling that story. Every year, tell that story, remember these things, celebrate it, be committed to it, and pick up the faith again, because you've just heard the story. This is what Jesus does in the Eucharist, only more so. We remember the whole story. As Father Ray gives us later, listen to the prayers. Listen to how the prayers tell in abbreviated short form the whole gospel story. God made us, and when we commit sin, fall into evil and death, we send your son Jesus Christ to die and be sacrificed. We tell the whole story. We remember the whole story. Part of that, we give special honor to what are known as the words of institution. Jesus took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Y'all, come on, everybody. From now on, you guys do this. Right? The words of institution, he instituted this thing. And we do it. And we remember it then. Second, we remember our identity. What is the prayer that we all say together? Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Who are we? We are God's children. We say together, we are your children. You are our Father. We are together. We remember who we are. If you come at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, when we do the right one service, we pray a beautiful prayer called the Prayer of Relaxes. We are not worthy so much as together we come to your table, but you, O Lord, are the one whose property it is always to have mercy. Our identity. We're not even worthy to get to that person. We remember our identity. We pray a ghost communion prayer. Thank you for feeding us the precious gift of the body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember who we are. That's a big part of what we do as we come to the table. What we do, we eat together in peace. Father also helped us think about this last week. After the sermon, we say the creed. After the creed, we bring our prize our hearts up. After that, we share the peace. We confess our sins. We're all sinners. We just do it out loud. And then we, we share the peace. And it's important, as we heard in the reading of Corinthians, it's important that we take that seriously and make it real. And if we need to, we share particular peace with each other. And in specific situations that we need to do that. And so we come together and we eat in peace. Friends, here's the question. Where else can you go? Where else can you go in our culture? Where you don't have to buy a ticket. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what social class you were born into. It doesn't matter what your address is. You know, whatever. If you come in faith, you've been baptized into the family of Jesus, and you're living in peace, you're welcome, and we come together as one with our Lord Jesus to this place. 